With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Tuesday podcast, which means no Steve, but Mike Renner back in the house. How's it going, Mike? Going well. Glad You should be glad today that I'm not in studio because I've been eating uh, avocado toast with uh, smoked salmon and pickled red onions the last few days. Okay. My breath right now <laughs> is like a dragon throwing flames. I, I hate it myself. But I will say I'm going to keep eating it. That's an absolute fire breakfast I have stumbled upon. I was going to say when you when you're aware yourself that the breath is bad, that's when you know. Yeah. That's when you know it's a problem. I like. At it least I, that's what I said. But I'm here in my own room. Mm-hmm. No one else has to smell besides my dog, so it's it's not too bad. It's perfect. So, avocado toast with smoked salmon and what? Uh, and pickled red onions. Pickled red onions. Diabolically good. Okay. So good. All right. It's also maybe the most millennial breakfast I think I've ever heard it of. It is. Um, I mean, it is. All right. That's that's fine. I had just regular toast and butter this morning. So it's not as good, but on the, the flip side, my breath. Low effort. A low effort. It is. Wreck. But the flip side of that is my breath is not a problem, you know, in here <laughs> in the studio. Um, so the last, not the last podcast, right? The last Tuesday podcast we did, we went through the perfect scenarios for all the teams with two first round draft picks. Um, obviously everybody agreed 100%. We got it right. Uh, now we're going to do the teams that don't have a first round pick, which turns out is quite a lot of them. So we're going to run through all these teams, which I think is a more difficult thing to come up with because obviously the lower down the draft you get, the more things sort of need to happen. And the more you're completely at the mercy of who slips, who falls, unexpected players being available when you last. And you, I think, increase the risk of, the thing you're hoping happens being completely unrealistic, right? Like 
It's one thing to say maybe Jalen Carter can slip to 10 or maybe Will Anthony or Will Anderson can be there at five. But all of a sudden, if you're like this fringe first rounder might be available in the third, it's a little bit more of a difficult sell. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's no better clip to really underscore that than last year, the Les Snead talking about Cole Strange, saying we had him on our board. We thought he was going to be there at pick 100. We're not picking until the back end of the third round, and we still had a guy who went in the first round on our board. That's, you know, the degree to which you just don't know what's going to happen. Everyone says, oh, this guy's not going to be there at this pick. Every year, there's a guy that's there at that pick that you weren't expecting to be there. So that's why you do have to do all the homework on all these guys, even if you are drafting, you know, like the 49ers, not until pick 99 here this year. Yeah, it's a good it's a good thing to preface this whole uh, podcast segment with that, you know, you might think the things we're suggesting are completely unrealistic and ridiculous and have zero chance of happening. But just last year, like the Rams were laughing at the idea of a guy getting drafted where he got drafted because they thought there was no possible way that was going to happen. And, you know, we talked about it on yesterday's podcast. If you look through the, the grinding the mocks chart of Sam Howell, there wasn't a single mock draft in the database had him within an entire round of where he ended up slipping to. So nobody was in the ballpark. Like people thought he might slip to the third. Like the idea that he was available in the fifth, literally not a single mock draft, one, not one outlier was within one entire round of that. I think the general public would be floored if they got any sort of peek into what a team's draft board looks like and just how different they are you know everyone says this nfl consensus this guy's a first rounder by the nfl no everyone is different they are closed sort of uh ecosystems to a degree that they're not letting some of this information out if they're really high on a guy that the public's not gassing up it behooves them not to talk about them being really high on that guy you know so I, i do think that uh so for this exercise you know there are some guys where it's like oh he's not gonna make it there it's like well you know let's just see how it plays out i mean the the nfl consensus that everybody talks about is effectively throwing 32 draft boards together and taking like the average of it because the critical part is there are going to be a bunch of teams that don't have that guy anywhere near there but as long as one of them does then a guy stays that high on the board right so it's kind of Mm -hmm. like where the highest person has each individual player determines the consensus for the nfl and if the entire league is lower on these guys, that's when they start to slip. So that, I think, is the difficult part to parse out is, is when all 32 NFL teams feel one way about a guy and let him slip. Yeah, like when Cleveland Farrell went number four. Like, he is a top four player on someone's board. Right, you know? and probably just so, that one team. Just one, but yeah. all it takes is one. Yeah, okay, so we'll get into that in just a moment. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people at Western and Southern Financial Group. They give us these little mugs. They also power the studio here with the fancy plaque on the wall. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash pff that's westernsouthern.com forward slash pff so let's do them in order mike um starting with the team that picks the highest i i was kind of i hadn't really looked to be honest that much of where some of these teams get their first pick it's actually a hell of a range right like the rams first pick comes up 
pretty much at the start of the second round, number 36 overall. But the first pick that the 49ers have is 99. Yeah, the 49ers, and that's only because, right, that they got three compensatory picks in the third round. They wouldn't have been drafted until day three after that Christian McCaffrey trade. So they were they were definitely all in. They were definitely taking a little page out of the Rams playbook here for last season. Yeah, such an unusual draft this year for the 49ers because, like you say, they had that just boatload of compensatory selections sent their way from – you know, losing guys and, and losing uh, minority uh, coaches and, and front office personnel as well, I think. So all of a sudden, they've got nothing until pick 99, and then they have three picks in four selections to end that third round. And that's just at the range where you can still do some damage. So it's a kind of fascinating uh, draft for them specifically, as well as some of these other teams. And especially for their needs, right? They need interior offensive line help. right they're just offensive line help on the whole and i think that's a good spot traditionally to find guards and centers maybe not tackles but definitely you can find some interior offensive linemen there so let's start with the los angeles rams uh first pick that they have coming up is pick number 36 uh and then what else do they have they have pick number 69 and 77 so they got three picks in those first three rounds where do you think their dream scenario is so this is actually the highest they picked since 2016, <laughs> since they drafted Jared Goff at number one overall. Six years of drafts without having as much as the 36th overall pick. The dream scenario, though, with that, to me, is finding an offensive tackle, having one of the guys slip. To me, one of the likely candidates who I like, who may not go that highly, is Anton Harrison from Oklahoma. I think that, again, it's a dream scenario, more realistically, I think he does come off the board a little before that, like someone like the Cincinnati Bengals or the Kansas City Chiefs, who are obviously are tackle needy a little prior to them, could pull the trigger if he's the only one available at the back end of the first round. But if he does fall, I think that's a home run scenario for the Los Angeles Rams because of how Joseph Note Boom performed last year, mm-hmm. just because you need an influx of talent already. And it's easier to, you know, that's the harder position to find of all the positions on the offensive line. You can kick no boom into guard if you want, if Anton Harrison's to do it. So that, to me, is where I'm starting. If that, if one of those, again, one of those tackles slips to pick 36, it is a run-the-card-in situation for me. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I stuck with the offensive line, but worked on the interior more. I, th- I think if Osiris Torrance was available there for them, that would be pr- a pr- pretty awesome pick as well. I think you're probably right, though, like the – one of those tackles that people think are going to go in the first round slipping to them, I think is probably a dream scenario. And then if that doesn't happen, Osiris Torrance being there as well would be a pretty good result. Yeah. And then going into the third round, obviously the pick 69, pick 77, I went to their receiving core. Now I know they have some talent. They have a a modicum of talent there. I, I think they could add more. I went with Tyler Scott because I think where they are, you know, they're not really in the window right now. So I'm with a guy who's more of a project. Tyler Scott, the Cincinnati wide receiver, uh, 4-4 speed, one of the best athletes in this draft class, but really unrefined as a receiver because he played running back in high school, only three years of playing wide receiver. You still see some of that roughness around the edges, but the talent is undeniable. And so I think he's a guy who year three, the light bulb could come on with him. Uh, and that's kind of the window you're playing for right now if you're the Los Angeles Rams. So I want him at 69, and then I want Travis Hodges Tomlinson, the TCU corner at 77, because they don't care about in that defense 
the size of their cornerbacks, obviously. Darius Williams is one of the smallest corners in the NFL. You're playing as much off coverage as they are. They just need some better athletes there in the back end. T- Travis Hodge Thompson, one of the best athletes in corner position in the draft class, but he's 5'8", 180 pounds. That's why he's not going to go top 50, even if his tape is on par with some of the corners that will go top 50. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think you're... I think you're right. There's a very good chance that they end up drafting a wide receiver, you know, somewhere with their first couple of picks. I, I wouldn't hate that, but I didn't have it as one of the areas that I would really uh, attack with the first picks in a, in a dream scenario. I think I would keep going on the offensive line if you get lucky. My dream scenario was Osiris Torrance in the second. If one of those top three centers falls to you in the third round, I think that's that's pretty ideal as well. When I ran through the mock draft in, uh, in PFF's mock sim, um, Luke Whipler, the Ohio State center, was available in the third round. I think that would be a pretty ideal landing spot for, for him and for them. And then I think they need an edge rusher as well. So Nick Herbig from Wisconsin was available with that uh, 77th overall pick. That was Uh, a snag that I had for them. If they can come away with a couple of interior offensive linemen and an edge rusher, I think that's about as good as they could hope for. Yeah. I I do think again, when you are, when you don't have a first round pick, where can you still find premium talent? It is probably interior offensive line. That's where you can still find guys who are quote unquote dudes who are going to be high level players, their respective position. It's not going to be usually at defensive end. Uh, It's, can sometimes be a wide receiver, but it definitely is a lot of times at interior offensive line. The only thing I would say there about a guy like Luke Whipler is he's probably a center only, right? And you have another center only in Brian Allen on the roster, so maybe a little bit more versatile. Maybe you're hoping like a John Michael Schmitz falls to you at that point. You get a little more versatility on the interior. Yep, definitely. Um, okay, Miami. Miami's first pick comes up. Where do they pick? Uh, 51. 51. Uh, 51 and 84. All right. So what is Miami's ideal draft scenario? The the ideal draft scenario is what I just gave them in my three-round mock that came out on PFF.com today, in my opinion. Again, this is my opinion. Good plug. Good plug. But 51, Jameer Gibbs running back Alabama. Oh. You're going to fall that far? Who knows? 84, Tank Dell from Houston. This is what this is your path to success. (laughs) Load up on dynamism. It's what Mike McDaniel wants. They want to have a Offense that looks like a track team that just has defenses head spinning like a top and Tua just being quarterback with his, you know, pop gun back there, just aiming at targets that are wide open because that's, that's difficult to defend. You know, that, that is an offense that if you have Tyree kill Jalen Waddle, tank Dell and Jameer Gibbs, the amount of speed that's on the football field, the amount of make you miss that's on a football field at one time is more so than anything else in NFL history. I mean, it already was last year, right? So this is a team that just, that is how you maximize Tua and his skill set because he's not like a contested catch ball thrower. He's not that kind of quarterback. He is a anticipatory throw it to the space. I know where the receiver is going to be. And these are the receivers and obviously a running back in Jameer Gibbs that can create those spaces. Yeah, I think we're we're thinking along similar lines. Um, I went in a slightly different direction. I think in the second round, like I'm I'm imagining that offense from San Francisco before Mike McDaniel left, where and they've only continued this since. You know, where they just amassed this group of insane playmakers, insane skill sets, guys that can do everything, match up in in all kinds of ways, and are all run after the catch monsters like that. That was the sort of defining characteristic of that group before McDaniel left and before they added Christian McCaffrey and all those kinds of things. 
whether it's Brandon Ayuk, Debo, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, all these guys, you get the ball in their hands and they can make ridiculous things happen. Now, I think Miami is already pretty large part of the way there with Waddle and with Tyreek Hill. So I gave them Sam Laporta, the tight end from Iowa, who has to be the best run after the catch tight end in this draft class. And okay, Iowa tight end, George Kittle, like there's obviously connections there. He's not George Kittle, but that's a guy who can work the underneath in that offense. If you can just get the ball in his hands and let him do things on his own beyond whatever the offense is capable of, of dialing up, which is obviously extensive. Yeah, I, I do like that fit too. <laughs> I think um, if I were to pick one of the tight ends in this draft class for them, like even even Michael Mayer in there, right? Even Don yeah, Don Kincaid's probably still the one I pick. Obviously, I think he's uh, the best in terms of just all around receiving skill set. But after that, it is Sam Laporta for that team. And, you know, he's not number two on the board, but he'd be number two for the Miami Dolphins specifically. And then in the third round, I think they still need interior offensive line depth or bodies or you know alternative options guys that you think could come in and and be a a useful player you know if a guy like steve avila from tcu fell that would be amazing i know he's injured he you know injured his knee at the combine but andrew Voorhees from from usc i think would be a good pick long term even if you're not necessarily going to get year one uh production out of him like something on the offensive line inside slipping to that third round would be great yeah because kind of the elephant in the room is that Austin Jackson still penciled in to be a starter here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you still got Austin Jackson in your starting lineup guys. I don't know if they realize that, uh, this free agency period. And, and unlike the Rams, um, well, I mean, you, you know, Connor Williams has position flexibility. You could kick him out if you needed to, but if they've settled on him as a center, you probably don't want to grab a center in the draft and have that guy, you know, yeah. just start reshuffling again. Like they're probably looking for a guard rather than a center. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they, yeah, they still have that offensive line is still kind of a house of cards, right? Any injuries and it's ugly, ugly. Yeah. It's very vulnerable. Like that's that as much as we're loving this idea of let's surround them with as many playmakers as possible, load up, you know, let Tua do his thing. Like you really need to pay attention to what that offensive line could do if things go south and one injury the whole thing could fall apart again so the more they can do to keep shoring that thing up i think the better so coming out of the top of the draft somewhere with offensive line help i think is almost a necessity for miami yeah they ignored it i mean how many years did they just after the tunsil pick right they went like three years where they just didn't even have a pick along the offensive line and then they trade tunsil and it's like oh wait what what (laughs) we have no one what what's going on here all right, yeah, and then they've just been real and since. Yeah, let's move on to Denver, who have had quite the quite the process with first round picks, having traded away, traded back, traded away. Like, still don't so they don't have anything. Their first pick is number sixty seven, but then they have back to back picks sixty seven and sixty eight are their two selections. So, what's an ideal scenario for Denver? I went with Diane Henley, the Washington State linebacker at 67. Okay. I think he's the best coverage linebacker in this draft. I, I think he's an athlete, the caliber of athlete that's missing from this linebacker core right now. That like maybe they drafted Baron Browning. Uh, Baron Browning's a different type of guy, but like to have that, to bring that level uh, to that linebacker core, then they obviously switched him to edge. And so I, I think just someone like that, that can really be a flexible coverage player for you. I would love to add to that defense. And I'd also love to add another flexible coverage player on the back end. I, I think 
Cam Smith from South Carolina. I'm not sure where he ends up going, but he's, to me, he's very similar to Kareem Jackson, uh, you know, the guy who was so key to that defense the past handful of years uh, at, for his versatility that he could play the slot, that he could play safety, that he could play outside if he wants to. So I think Cam Smith going to there would bring, I guess, what Kareem Jackson just brought to them. Yeah, that makes sense. I gave them defensive line help. Um, I, I think they want to keep stocking that defensive line mm-hmm. up and make sure it's a strength. And as much as they looked like they had a ton of bodies at the start of last year, it, it kind of evaporated really quickly. Like Baron Browning had this weird <clears throat> month of insane production, and then it just stopped happening and never started again. Nick Benito, I really liked as a sort of situational edge guy, but didn't show too much year one. I'm not sure you can rely on him being an impact guy going forward. I know they gave a ton of money to Randy Gregory, who was injured, didn't play for a lot of it. Like Also, Gregory's kind of career is this very strange career arc of you know suspended a ton, missed a lot of time, then was really good for a really short period of time, then got the ton of money off the back of it. Like it's it's all about how much can you rely on him being a 17 game, you know, true difference maker on the mm-hmm. edge. So with that amount of question marks, I just want more options there. And when you're talking about like the top of the third round, this is where I think it, it's tricky because realistically the top of the third round are going to be, there's going to be some players where you think right now we're talking about them as maybe they sneak into the first, right? Maybe sneak into the first, slips around on draft day, and it's actually realistic, but now it looks absurd, right? So guys like uh, Keon White from Georgia Tech, um, our, our guy Ade Adeboire, the, the Northwestern defensive tackle, I guess, that was an edge rusher in college, blew up the combine with his 4 4 his stock seems like it's heading in the opposite direction, but who knows where he actually ends up going given the projection involved. Um, Tuli, Tui Palato from, from USC, like some kind of defensive lineman, I think, being added to that group, almost regardless of where it is, makes sense for the, the Broncos. Yeah, I would bet on a Keon White slip because <coughs> when you're billed as a freak athlete, and that's why people are going to bat because he was a first-rounder, and then you're like, objectively not in his pre-draft testing you're <laughs> at a 479 right you know at his pro day 281 pounds 479 is i mean it's it's not bad for by any means but it's not you know 200 for a 281 pounder you better be i mean Clyde can't around a 467 right, right? That, like that's the range low 47 is what you better be in to be considered a high-end athlete so uh what is there then i mean there's just good size good physicality but uh, i i don't see a first round player so it wouldn't surprise me if he is on the board there for denver yeah, and I think they're actually, you know, we look at their roster, they've attacked quite a lot in free agency, obviously. They they invest in the offensive line. That offensive line may not be amazing, but you can't really find a spot where you could obviously immediately upgrade it or that you think is a definite need. They, they would want to come out of the first couple of rounds. Maybe they grab one of those centers and, and try and replace Lloyd Cushenberry, but I don't think it's a massive need. Um, running back, you bring in a guy like Samaji Piran to cover for Javante Williams if that recovery takes a while. Their wide receiver room is stacked. Like the offense is pretty much set. Um, and as good as the defense was, that's the only area where you would look. So, and to be honest, you can probably add bodies at all three levels, whether it's um, depth on the defensive line, rotation, whatever, whether it's, as you've been saying, a, a linebacker with athleticism or some help and, and competition in the secondary, I think basically they need to look defense for those picks. 
Yeah, I mean, the one position offensively that I'd say you probably like to have just some insurance is offensive tackle, but kind of we just started this off by saying you're not going to find an OT in the third round. I just don't think this is the year to do so. Um, so, yeah. Um, Cleveland. Cleveland, I think of all the teams that we're talking about here, just has the least to work with. They've got the one pick and the first three rounds, pick number 98, just before that uh, run of 49ers picks to close out the third round. Uh, and that's it. So one pick at the ass end of the third round. What is an ideal draft scenario for that for Cleveland? They have pick 74, too. No? Oh, do they? Or am I, am I crazy? Uh, I think they have pick 74, too. I don't know. Um, that was the Elijah Moore trade pick. Oh, so it is. They just okay. got it. it wasn't showing up in my yeah. uh, my thing. Okay, so 74 and number 98. Yeah, uh, so 74, the one guy I, I would really want to add to this defense is Siaki Ika. I want a guy who can eat up space. They, they were like the lightest front in the league last year, and it showed in the run game a dreadful, just abysmal showing last year because they didn't have the horses, right? They were throwing out, you know, 300-pound nose tackles last year, and they tried to obviously fix that. Dalvin Tomlinson, the Adam Free Agency, good start. Can't stop there, in my opinion. That's why Siaki Ika... One of the few true three thirty plus nose tackles. He's a little. He's not like the greatest hold the point nose tackle prospect, which is why he's not you know getting top fifty hype or anything like that. But just some size in there to to just create a little uh, movement in the run game is something they desperately need. So I think someone like Siaki Ika, you put him in next to Dalvin Tomlinson, your run game transforms overnight, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm definitely with you that I think that's the position to target. It's really a case of what the you know what the the ideal guy being available for you is at that spot. Like I think it, their dream is there's a player they like on the interior that's available there with that pick, and they have to pounce on it because I'm with you like that. It's been a weakness for a long time. Dalvin Tomlinson certainly helps, but it doesn't fix it. Um, so they need to keep hammering. If they found an edge rusher. That wouldn't be a bad thing either. I know they added Akarwanko in, in free agency. I really like what he can bring and potentially be opposite Miles Garrett, but you wouldn't hate having a third option there. But that interior is, is ideal. I gave them in my mock when it was when it rolled around, Keanu Benton from uh, Wisconsin was available, uh, but that's the spot. Like They need to target and hope somebody is available, somebody slips at that spot. Yeah, my second pick for them, pick 98, I gave them another defensive lineman. I think you really have to foolproof this run game. Give yourself guys you know who can be solid options there. Okoronkwo's not a plus run defender. Alex Wright, they wanted him to be that last year, the third rounder out of UAB. But, man, rookie year, he is just stiff. I'm I'm not certain. Uh, you know, he's on his point in the developmental curve because he came out early out of UAB and, and was really just not ready for the NFL. I'm not so certain year two is going to see a big turnaround. Maybe it is, but I think, again, I'm trying to foolproof, make sure that I have options in case he's not. And to me, Isaiah McGuire from Missouri is that option that I know he can set the edge of the run game. Is, it, is he ever going to be an elite pass rusher? Probably not, but I do think that you have your you give yourself at least a high floor player there so that you're again really focused on the run game here because that was your Achilles heel. Make sure that doesn't go to shit. I think as a like as a quick aside, 
like when you listen to fans or when you hear fan feedback of like mock drafts or, or players you would select or whatever, fans buy into those mid-round picks from a year ago. And they're like, well, we've got Alex Wright or Nick Benito or mm-hmm. whatever, like whoever the guy was that you liked a couple of years ago who you got taken in the second, third, fourth round. They're always like, that guy is going to develop next year. He'll take a step forward. He's the reason we don't need to invest in that spot this year. I would always work on the basis that, like, unless you saw something pretty special from that guy year one, you basically can't expect him to be anything year two. And if he is, great, it's a bonus. But, like, but you shouldn't, it shouldn't prevent you from taking somebody else at that spot to add competition or just to ensure that you double your chances of that guy making an impact. Um, where do you think NFL, well, well, number one, where, where are you on that uh, concept? Number two, how do you think NFL teams view those guys? Yeah, I think if you really did not look like you belonged here, one, and that's like that's a difference, right? I'm talking about you know Alex Wright specifically. Unfortunately, not not trying to single him out, but he had a 38.4 PFF grade on 543 snaps. He had 12 pressures on 311 pass rushing snaps. He just did not look like he was ready for the NFL. When that's the case. I'm going right back to the well, right? It's the Josh Rosen thing. Like Josh Rosen's because he was so bad that the Cardinals were able to move on from him and go Kyler Murray. If Josh Rosen had so shown signs of life at all, you're stick they probably stick with Josh Rosen. And that's kind of how I feel about you know third round rookies. If Alex Wright had shown anything at all, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see where this can go. But when a guy really just doesn't look like he belongs right out the gate, there are guys that have obviously overcome that and turned into good pros. But the odds of that happening is far, far lower in that case. There's more flameouts than there are, uh, far more flameouts than there are guys who really turn things around. So that's why I'm, again, readdressing a position when a guy just either couldn't see the field or couldn't, when he did see the field, make any semblance of an impact. Yeah, I mean, to me, generally, the only players that I'm kind of not, that I'm almost allowing prevent me draft at a certain position would be guys like probably sort of top 30 top 40 picks from a year ago. And even then, it's players almost that I'm sort of penciling in a bigger role or a more significant gig next year, you know, like guys that I anticipate playing more snaps, therefore I don't need to go looking for a starter or whatever. But like if I had a second round or a third round edge rusher, corner, wide receiver, whatever it is that I liked at the time, but still find that spot needing addressing, I'm not, that guy's not stopping me from drafting like the equivalent player again, like another second round edge rusher or another second round wide receiver. If that's a spot, keep hammering until you fix it. And if somehow it works out that the first guy developed a year after and the second guy's good, that's not a bad problem to have. Like you can, in almost all positions, like offensive line is obviously different, but pretty much every position, having two young players work out at the same time is a good thing. It just increases your flexibility. That That is the... That was Howie Roseman with Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager, right? That that's and I and I even would kind of toss out the top 30, maybe like top five, top ten. If a guy really doesn't show anything, I can still, you know, buy into not addressing that position year two. But if a guy is again, even if he's the 20, what was Rager, 21, 22, something in that range, 22nd overall pick, and he hasn't shown me a damn thing, well. I'm going to go back to the well because you can't afford to bank on development at a position as valuable as wide receiver, truthfully. Yeah, no, I think you're right that there is a there's a difference in sort of just general concepts of, you know, guy that 
didn't look great, didn't look bad, and we expect him to develop versus those players who literally showed nothing or looked like they yeah. just did not belong. That, I think you're right, would change. Like That changes the whole dynamic. If a guy looked like you just whiffed from day one, then it doesn't matter if he's a top five, top 10, top 50, you know, whatever prospect, you need to start thinking about moving yeah. on because it, he's probably not fixing that. Like, the yeah, if he's a top guys, 10 pick and you're thinking about changing him to cornerback, you're one. <laughs> That's probably, you know, the John Ross. Like, yeah, the number of guys that have gone from looked completely like they didn't belong to, oh, all of a sudden he's a good NFL player has got to be pretty small. So yes. I'm with you. I think if, if he falls into that category, it basically doesn't matter where you drafted him. It, he shouldn't be preventing you from drafting somebody else. But even if a guy is just sort of middle of the road, you know, like, I mean, Nick Benito, I think is a fair, like he flashed, he showed some things last year, but mm -hmm. are you so sure that because you liked him coming out that he's going to take a big step year two and become this like really impact dynamic situational pass rusher no like it would be nice if he did but i'm not stopping that from or i'm not letting that stop me draft an edge rusher and like doubling that chance i, I think well i think he is in terms of i'm not drafting another pass rush only guy right like that's what his role so, yeah, okay i would draft maybe you know a, a more complete, maybe a better run defender if I am going to address edge in the Broncos. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's uh, move on to San Francisco. So again, no pick until number 98. And then they have, was it 98, 99, and, 100, and 101? Or what do we got? 99, 101, 102. So the Raiders have one pick at number 100 to split up the, uh, the run of yeah. 49ers gigs. Yeah, the Dolphins and Tom Brady had to screw up the stupid numbers this year. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. But 99, 101, 102, interesting spot to be because you can kind of like, you know, you got the Raiders in between you there, but you can kind of target three guys right away that you want right? once you get on the clock. To me, I don't know if this happens at this point, but Chandler Zavala, NC State guard, First, he's on the board, boom, running in, first pick, heck of an athlete, can play, you know, played in an outside zone scheme at NC State. You just plug and play right guard for you. Second pick, 101, Blake Freeland, BYU offensive tackle. Not a plug and play by any means, but you're not finding a plug and play tackle at this point in the draft, but he's a heck of an athlete, a guy who can really move. And again, a guy who played outside zone scheme at BYU, going to go to Kyle Shanahan's offense in the run game where that, that was his call. That was his strength. You know, Freeland was a monster in the run game because he is so athletic, because he is so quick off the line. You just, you're going to have to pr protect him in pass pro. Like, uh, probably not a year one starter type of guy, but, you know, again, beggars can't be choosers at pick 101. And then at pick 102, you are the, you know, held up as the best organization, one of the best organizations for uh, developing defensive linemen. I think this is a great spot to, to draft one of the pure developmental picks in the draft along the defensive line. And that to me is Andre Carter from Army. I think oh. he really fits the bill in terms of obviously traits to develop 
ran a sub seven three cone at nearly 260 pounds that's a fantastic time for an edge rusher that's a trait to build off of and then obviously his just behind in the weight room because he went to army and didn't go to alabama and spend four years just locked in uh so I, I do think that andre carter to the 49ers alongside those two other offensive linemen that's a draft i'd be very happy about if i'm a how much of uh, how much of Andre Carter's? Because a lot of people, I think, are criticizing the sort of weird frame or the lack of size. Like, how much of that do you think is 100 percent down to the dude was at Army and therefore had to do other things with his time, as opposed to bulk up to as much as he can carry? I think a good amount, right? Like, there's a reason why he's the only one, you know, the only major college player that looks like that. Or I guess not major college went to Army, but like the only major prospect along the defensive line that looks like a high school tight end, right? Is because for three months out of the year, he's not in a weight room. He's, you know, literally uh, grinding it out in the field, trying to learn how to be an army officer, right? So uh, I do think that you'll see a distinct difference in his, how he's put together by year three in the NFL physically. Uh, What was it? Uh, Alejandro Villanueva even was like, you know, 250 pounds before he, obviously came back from the army and started putting on weight. Like it just is not something you can do when you have to do as much cardio right. as those guys. Do. That's the thing. Like he's spending a lot of his time running. Like I haven't done an army boot camp, but there looks to be quite a lot of running involved. And that's not right. necessarily conducive to carrying 280 pounds of muscle. Like even if you had it to start with, you're probably losing it. The second you've got to run miles and miles and miles every freaking day you know, carrying a pack or whatever. So I, I would imagine, you know, th- I think it's important because a lot of people are, that's the big criticism you hear about him, right? Is he's relatively lightweight, doesn't necessarily make some of the plays that you think he should given the frame or the, some of the athletic measures. But like, if you transform that body into something different over the course of the next six months, you're probably talking about a very different prospect. So I like that as a, a landing spot for them. Um, I I think that they... They would love a slot corner. Uh, I, th- I forget who you gave um, Travius Hodges Tomlinson to before, but I gave him to San Francisco at the the bottom here. Um, I think they would love interior offensive line help or depth as well. So all the guys we talked about before slipping, again, would be ideal. And then I'd love them to keep sort of future-proofing that receiving core. We've been talking about how are they going to afford to keep all those guys together. Would they listen to trade offers for – a Brandon Ayuk. There have been reports that teams are calling. I, I don't think they want to move him, uh, nor should they. But you know, if they can find a guy at the bottom of the third round that has like the skill set to become a good outside, uh, high-level wide receiver for them, even if it's not year one, I think that would be smart. And Michael Wilson from Stanford is a guy that really intrigues me in that kind of range. I uh, I do wonder secondary wise where they would want to add because Samuel Womack fifth rounder last year from Toledo I thought he was like showed something in the slot I think maybe they're cool with him and maybe want to add someone across from Charvarius Ward because obviously they have a little different type of corner that they go for than maybe the rest of the league and where the rest of the league's trending and that they're still uh, you know they're still a heavy cover three defense when that's kind of out of vogue so. Uh, maybe go for a little longer guy, but pick again, when you're that low down, you're yeah. kind of just the boards, you're playing the board. You can't really be 
you can't really dictate where you're attacking. You kind of just have to see what falls to you. And obviously Shanahan will draft a running back anyway. So and that too, yeah. I was about to give him Kendry Miller, (laughs) but you know. Um, So there we go. A little too realistic. There is our dream scenario for every NFL team that does not have a first-round draft pick. Mike, I want to end it by talking a little bit about Lamar Jackson and who are the teams that should be in the market for Lamar at this point? Because... You know, the, the conversation certainly on this podcast has been about is this collusion stuff real? Is it fake? Like, why are teams not involved right now? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But there comes a point where there are teams that absolutely should be involved in this discussion. And I think maybe they are behind the scenes and doing it on the quiet. So if you're the NFL, if you're a GM for all these teams, who are the teams that should be on the phone to Lamar, should be trying to work something out, should be exploring it? Well, I think the thing that gets lost that everyone's like, oh my gosh, why is no one offering Lamar? Is that as soon as this draft ends, the two first rounders that you have to give up are future first rounders now. Yeah. So if you have, if you're the Colts and you have the fourth pick, why would you do a deal for Lamar right now when after the draft, if you get Lamar, you're all of a sudden better next year. And then all of a sudden that first rounder is not pick four overall. So I think the Colts, I think the Atlanta Falcons, as much as they can say, we love Ritter, we love Ritter. After this draft, you're telling me that Lamar Jackson in that offense isn't an absolute monster? Like, that offense is put together for him in the yeah. way it works in the middle of the field, the way they are, as run-heavy as they are. He would take them, they'd be the NFC South favorites overnight if they got Lamar Jackson. And again, they wouldn't be picking eight overall next season. So I think those are the two teams that really come to mind that, you know, again, I keep saying after the draft that that they should be putting in serious offers because the Colts now could be left in the cold in this quarterback class. They may pass on it altogether. If three guys come off the board before they're picking, they might just say, Hey, we're, we're going to be the team that lands Lamar Jackson. We're going to put that contract out there uh, and make the Ravens, uh, you know, have to decide. So I do think those two really come to mind after that. I don't think there's a really one that I have a strong feeling on, uh, in this draft, like outside of them, you know, maybe the Bucks, if they really, you know, they obviously don't have a lot of options at quarterback, uh, maybe the Patriots. But those first two, the Colts and the Falcons, are the two teams that just really come to mind that they should be in the market and in the market pretty heavily. Yeah, to me, the Falcons absolutely should be. And they make all the sense in the world. They've been the most obvious landing spot for him since it became a possibility that he was actually going to hit the open market and be available to teams. I don't quite understand why they haven't been in it right away, but it sort of makes sense. Like the, the bit that I don't understand is them coming out immediately and saying like, we're not in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. Right. And I think Arthur Smith was on Rich Eisen's show recently, maybe. And sort of said, we definitely kicked it around. We talked about it and decided we're not going to do it. Arthur blank has been out there saying, you know, there's, there's concerns about his play style (laughs) like comparing it to Deshaun Watson, which just didn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, They've been very vocal in there, like we're not involved in this, which is almost reaching the point of, you know, the lady doth protest too much type of thing. Like, are they just making so much of this so that the negotiation becomes easier and they're saying, well, you know, we don't really need you. We're we're happy enough with Desmond Ritter and we can roll. So take this low ball offer. But they're the team that it's a perfect match for him. It, they have cap space, like they have more cap space than the Ravens, which gives them an immediate ability to structure a contract in a way that makes it awkward for Baltimore to try and match. So that's a key part in all this. Like if you're, if 
you're going to be involved in this discussion, you need to have enough flexibility to make this deal a deal Baltimore doesn't want to match. Um, and they're the team that probably isn't going to be in the quarterback market in the first round unless, you know, an Anthony Richardson falls to where they are and they pivot that way. So I think the Falcons makes a ton of sense. Uh, the Colts, though, I think are in a tougher spot because it, it sort of feels like only if they miss in the draft, right? And then then all of a sudden, not only are they like, in the market, but they're desperate. Yeah, and, and I will say it's not – if someone wants to put in an offer, they can make it fairly easy structurally to make sure that he's coming to you, right? Like they, they can make it fairly easy with the Ravens cap situation. And so the Ravens right now, $6 million cap space. They can clear some, sure, but it's going to take a lot for them to clear enough to fit, say, a thirty-plus million dollar this year, or like a forty-plus million dollar charge this year on their cap. Whereas the Colts with nineteen million in space, uh, whereas other teams in this sort of sweepstakes right now have much more in, in terms of uh, ability to clear space and ability to fit them under. So the, the Ravens kind of knew that. I think when they put them on the market, they knew that someone yeah. could poison pill them, so to speak, but. They, they wanted it because if you get poison pilled, you're getting two first-round picks back in return. So it's it's a, it's kind of a win-win if you're the Baltimore Ravens. Here. But I think, like I, I mean, as much as the relationship may have soured to the point where this is generally bad for Baltimore, but in terms of, like, negotiating, they've they played this pretty much bang on, right? Like, everything has been perfect. They took the calculated risk that, yeah, there are teams that can structure this in a way that we won't match. But, number one, there really isn't that many of them. Number two, they probably won't, at least not right away, because this is happening right in free agency. Nobody wants that contract sitting on their books for a week during the spending spree that everybody's going under. So there's, like, we're probably cutting this down to like one or two teams, right? Exactly what we're talking about. It might be, it might be uh, Atlanta. It might be Indianapolis only after the draft. So like, this is not a giant risk. And the worst case scenario is we get two first-round draft picks out of it. Now, where it does become a problem for Baltimore is if it does happen after the draft, like they missed out on quarterbacks as well, right? So the risk that they're now running is if it does materialize, they're kind of screwed this year because what are they doing at quarterback? Yeah, that's that is the only kind of elephant in the room is that they may, I mean, they may be, they may draft one. That shit, they, right. they may draft, they may be the team that pulls trigger on Hendon Hooker. You know, who knows? We'll see. So the only other team I think that is sort of in the conversation or worth mentioning is the Jets if the Rodgers thing collapses somehow. Like, obviously, if the Rodgers thing unspools, this somehow doesn't materialize and the Jets are without a quarterback, that's the most desperate team in the NFL and will probably do anything to, to make that happen. Yeah. I, I The Rodgers thing's going to happen, though. They, yeah, just, it has to. It is. It's going to be annoying. <laughs> it's pro- pretty much been Aaron Rodgers the last two years, though, frankly. But no, it's just it's going to happen. It's just the haggling back and forth. It's just finding a price that ultimately how they're basically just saying, how desperate are you, New York? And yeah. New York, from their perspective, they're pretty damn desperate, right? Well, it's a standoff. Like both teams are both teams are reasonably desperate for it to happen. Neither team has any leverage. And we're just sort of waiting here playing chicken until somebody eventually figures out how it's going to happen. I'm with you. I think it will. But anytime you're dealing with somebody like Aaron Rodgers and two teams trying to, you know, make this happen, it could unspool. It could go south. Mm -hmm. It could collapse. If it does, and I don't think it will, 
like the Jets will do anything to get a quarterback because all of a sudden they've assembled this team to win right now and have literally no quarterback to make that happen. So Zach Wilson, year three, is going to be like Josh Allen, year three then. Yeah. This was the, <laughs> this was the supporting cast that Zach Wilson was Did you imagine, though? That would be, be a storyline. That would be – first take would be hot I mean, for months. The Josh Allen – like Josh Allen's development year three is one of the most absurd and ridiculous things that's ever happened in the NFL. Like one of the least likely jumps in player performance of NFL history. If Zach Wilson turned last year into that next year, it would be significantly more impressive and less likely. Like whatever about Josh Allen's first two years, the Bills were all bought in and they loved the dude and they were like saying he's going to do this. They hadn't, like, sat him down because the guy was an asshole and refused to take responsibility for playing like crap. If Zach Wilson turns that around, it would be, it would be right up there with the Nick Foles NFC Championship and Super Bowl performance as, like, the least likely thing that's ever happened in the league. Yeah. I mean, that was. Whew, that was incredible. Like, Nick Foles owns two of the most, two of the best postseason performances from a quarterback in NFL history. And Nick Foles has otherwise been basically a an inadequate starting quarterback in the NFL, and one of the best single season stretches also in NFL history. He did it twice. He went on two runs. Yeah, two different coaches with the Eagles in two different stints. Right, but one the, the first one, one of the one of the careers that if you made a movie out of it, just you'd be like, no, no, he, yeah, sorry. his that's, career that's, makes that's, that's that's insane. That won't never happen. His career makes no sense whatsoever. But even that first run, like. It wasn't as good as the numbers looked. Yeah, like he was in he was in that offense that was that teams had no answer for. He was putting up crazy stats. His PFF grade was never quite as good as the numbers. Like he threw what twenty nine touchdowns to two interceptions, but his passing grade was eighty three, eighty four, which is good. But it's not like I mean those <laughs> numbers look like you should be putting ninety five or whatever. Like he was a little bit of a product of the system, and then the system got figured out, and then so did Nick Foles. <laughs> Just a little. All right, Michael, thank you for showing up today. That's been a, been a fun discussion of perfect scenarios for the teams without first-round picks, the teams that should be involved in the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Steve, where I believe the first one of our special guests is showing up for an interview. Not the first one. We had Chris Sims last week. I think Jim Nagy is tomorrow, or maybe hey. tomorrow is uh, – I forget which order we're doing it. Tomorrow might be our cornerback show, and then Jim Nagy is Thursday. Either way, I'll be back with Steve tomorrow. We'll see you then. Thanks for watching.